0: Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, Bendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. And I'm pretty sure that both of our souls fell out of our butts that night, at that moment. all of you Wayward Souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories Podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures and our wanderings and our wonderings. How is everyone doing this week? I hope you guys out there, wherever you are, are doing really well, and I hope that none of you are allergy sufferers such as I am, because so far I've had a pretty rough week because I think I've got a sinus infection from fighting like seasonal fall allergies plus a cat who I'm relatively fond of. I'm still not sure how I feel about old Luna Petunia there. Um, But it's, right now it's killing me. So my voice may sound a little different tonight. Um, so just please bear with me because we got to push through. The show must go on. You know, I've missed a few drops here in the last few months for various reasons, as many of you have noticed. And I just want to say that, you know, I wanted to get it out tonight. There's a lot going on over the next couple of weeks for me. Um, and I didn't want to miss another drop. Not this soon after missing a previous drop. Anyway, we're going to talk about some really fun stuff tonight. We're going to talk about riding trains. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you guys, our little bit of housekeeping here. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. Like Again, you just can't know how enormously each individual one review and subscription really, truly helps us to get discovered. Um, And the same goes for YouTube. And you guys, please, by all means, share those videos, share the podcast into your groups. I can see when that happens sometimes, just from the uptick in views and listens. And it's just hugely, hugely helpful. So you guys get to listen for free. So if you feel so inclined, you are more than welcome to compensate me by sharing me, and especially word of mouth. Anyway, but you also don't have to do that. The The stories are always free around here. So anyway, before we get into the actual specific part of tonight's show that we're going to talk probably the most about, because it was a very particular excursion train ride right here through our Ozark Mountains on the, uh, on the Arkansas and Missouri Railway, they have one of the longest and probably, I would say, as scenic as anywhere, um, except maybe the Rocky Mountains like up in Calgary you know, around Canada, they've got some Banff places like that. But like of all the places here in the continental US, this one's top tier. It's top tier. And I think people sleep on it. You know, it doesn't make a lot of the top 10 list. Um, as I did my research and that kind of blew my mind because I was looking at some of the ones that did make the top 10 list. And I'm like, yo, this one's three times as long, just as beautiful. I'm looking through these pictures. I'm like, there's like people sleep, people sleep on Arkansas, which is Happening less and less and less, granted, but like in a lot of places and a lot of areas of tourism, et cetera, I think people still are. And I don't think enough people realize that we have this awesome, like all day excursion train ride. I mean, it's only like three hours going, three hours coming, but you get a big layover in a super cool little town we're going to talk about later. Um, It's really, really neat. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, but we're going to get into the specifics of that. A little bit later on, because we're going to kind of, we're just going to talk about railroads in general, just a little bit. We're going to talk about why they're a really great way for all of us, you know, modern day wannabe adventurers um, and travelers to see the countryside. That's really the biggest thing. I mean, it's cool experience, right? Just riding a train, it's going to be a really cool experience. It's got a lot of nostalgia with it, right? It's like, how many movies have trains in them? Train scenes. How many are set on trains? You know, how many songs are there out there? God, it's like every other freaking old country song. You know, God, Mama Tried. You've got Folsom Prison Blues starts out talking about that, that hear the train coming. Um, God, how many? It's so many. Trains are... A huge part of really a lot of cultures, but of American culture, they're a huge part of it. And there is a mystery. There's a mythology. God, there's huge mythology and legends associated with trains all all across the board. And there's a romance to it. You know, there's a nostalgia to it, a hearkening back to another time. In a way, it's very much in line with what we were talking about in our last episode about Route 66 and what people find so attractive about it, you know? There's a certain psychological aspect of, you know, the old times were always the better times, at least in our minds. But then also, you know, they were absolutely simpler times for a lot of people in many ways, and like in today's world, that's so breakneck pace just to try to survive. It's not even to get ahead anymore. Like, you remember the old days, like, people talk about People working themselves to death to try to like just get so far ahead and keep up with the Joneses and all that. Now that's just survival. Like we're all dying out here just to survive. So there is certainly an aspect of God, I wish things were simpler. And things like passenger trains that were huge in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, they kind of represent that to a lot of people. And a lot of people have memories of it. Like I myself, my grandfather, that I never met, okay, so I didn't really know, but this is all the stories that was told to me, he was a brakeman on the Kansas City Southern Railway, I mean, this guy rode a caboose every day of his life, and did the dangerous job, climbed up on top of cars, and set hand brakes on each car individually, like a brakeman's job was extremely dangerous, and he was a brakeman, and I always loved that, and I grew up in a town that was on a a division point of the Kansas City Southern Railway, the very same town that he lived in, you know, and trains were a huge part of our life there. I mean, that was literally a valid excuse for being late for school was the train was across the tracks. And there's a lot of you out there that are going to recognize that from some little town that you're in, you know, always trains, always trains, you know, and you'd hear the whistle late at night. You'd be laying there, go to bed and, and railroad tracks are a mile and a half away, you know, and you would hear one of those late freight trains rolling into town. You would hear the horn. There is a romance to it. And there's a fascination for me. Like, personally, I'm a huge train nerd. Okay, no, I'm not. Let me take that back. Because any of you out there that are train nerds, listen to this. No, I'm not actually a huge train nerd. I'm into, like, a lot of the cultural aspects of trains. Like I said, the mythology, the legend, the history, because I love history. There's a whole lot I'm into them. But, like, I couldn't tell you the difference from one engine to the next, like, So, so, so many of these guys that are in these rail fan groups that do like hardcore rail fanning. Like I'm a member of some of those groups just because I like looking at the trains, learning about things. A lot of history gets shared in those groups. But I'm not, you know, a geek in the sense that I know all those things. I don't want to take credit like those guys for those guys, what they know how to do. Because they know stuff like God down to like production runs. You know, why oh this one has ditch lights in this location and it's crazy how much they know. It's really impressive. That's not me. I'm interested in the romance. I'm interested in the history. I'm interested in the legends and the folklore and that that and growing up around it, there's a fascination that comes with trains. And growing up in a little railroad town like that, I got myself into some pretty tight situations a few times. Like and I feel like I'm actually gonna tell. A few of those stories before we get started tonight, because, I mean, that's what this podcast is, right? It's all about telling stories, wayward stories. It's right there in the name. So I actually have a small handful of stories about things that I may have done that were very, very stupid, possibly illegal, actually definitely illegal, federal property. Um, But I'm thinking the statute of limitations has run out, and I'm 43, and, like, who cares? Um, But I will preface it before I tell these two or three little stories here. Um, kids don't try this at home, nobody should do this, this is stupid, okay, like, I'm just telling you right up front, it was stupid, but that's the mind of a teenage boy, right, you do stupid things, so anyway, again, division point on a railway town, in a railway town, on a major class one railway, you know, a class one railway, which is a major railroad, Kansas City Southern, um, and there are trains everywhere all the time, you know, they had like a classification yard, a small one, it was all this stuff. There's a lot of train action there. And so we would go because I was we're always interested in getting into strange things, right? Like get Oh, that's cool. Let's check that out. Because back in the 90s, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have much for TV down there in the sticks like that. You know, if you didn't have cable, which most people actually didn't like you got like maybe one or two channels over the air. Right. There was nothing to do is what I'm getting at. In the mid to late 90s. In small town America. Um, and so we got into a lot of stupid stuff. Well one of the things we used to do. Is there was these really cool. Through truss like railroad bridges. Out you know. On the, the the peripheries of town. Heading down into the Ouachita Mountains. And so we would you know. Jump off of them to swim. In like the Black Fork River. I remember a guy who like broke both of his ankles. Because the water was too shallow. And he jumped from like halfway up the freaking side trusses. Like we did a lot of things. We fished under them. But anyway, some of the stupidest things I ever did involved trains. And one of them was, okay, a steel truss bridge is like a big open, you know, bridge, but it's got like, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've definitely seen one. You just may not know what it's called. But anyway, it's like one of those, that's like a portal kind of thing. You know, it's got the, the, the structure is up over the top. The train goes through it, you know, and they're kind of lattice work. They kind of look like old connects or something like that. Um, anyway, those are usually have this, this cross hatched lattice work that goes up the, like these cross members. Sometimes they go straight up and down. Sometimes they're kind of at an angle, but anyway, those make perfect, those little cross hatches make perfect little ladder steps where you can climb up and get on top of a bridge. And that may or may not have been something that one of my friends and I used to do in the middle of the night is, you know, park down on the Corps of Engineers land and walk out on the bridge and jump out on a cross member and climb up to the top of the bridge and watch trains go under. Which was like, oh my God, it's so dangerous. I would die if like, my own child were to do something like that and I knew about it. It's mind-boggling, the things we did. But what I remember is this. This bridge is like probably, I would say, between 30 and 50 feet over the Poto River, which is just nasty mud soup, um, which is terrifying in and of itself. But I don't want to say specifically, because how do you judge height from that height? Everything looks way higher when you're on top, you know. But that's like from the deck. But then you could go up over the top, which is probably another 20 feet high, right? The part the train say passes under. So you're like, at least, I would say minimum 60 to 70 feet off of the water, like 20 feet off the deck, 40 feet off the water, maybe way up there, plenty enough to kill you. And the trains would go under. And these bridges are built in the late 1800s, right? They were so overbuilt because steam engines used to weigh so much that like now they didn't really have to do a whole lot to them except to keep them maintained because the newer diesel engines, as big and huge and heavy as they are, weigh like a fraction of the weight of the old steam locomotives, and so they're, like, good to go. So there's, like, 100-year-old-plus bridges all over this country with modern rail traffic just cooking right across it. Well, you'd get up there on top of that bridge. And see, now, I didn't have the guts to climb up on the top because what it required is at the top where all these beams would meet or whatever. What it essentially required was once you got to the very tippy top, you had to, like, reach up grab the top of one of these I-beams that crisscrossed or whatever, one of these structural beams, and you had to essentially hang out over the rails below you, 15, 20 feet below, and then pull yourself up only with upper body strength, and then somehow balance yourself to get on top of the beam. And I didn't have that kind of upper body strength. I was a fat kid anyway. And I was like, I just wouldn't do it. I was like, I'm going to do that and I'm going to die. And it's actually probably fairly certain that I would have died had I done that. Um, but my friend who remained nameless, um, he would. And so anyway, these trains would go under. And it was amazing to me how these old metal truss bridges, how far they sway. When a train is going across them, because I'm up here literally hanging on this lattice work as high as I can get without risking my life to get up sitting on the very tippy top. My arms are like, you know, I've got my arms curled through the lattice work. I'm not coming off there. But this bridge would start swaying once the train hit it, you know, clack at it, clack at it, clack at it, clack at it. And the bridge would just start this like slow sway. And it's, I remember one night doing that and the moon was out and I could see down to the water below me which it's like, I'm either going to the right. If I were to fall, I'm going to the right onto the train, onto the tracks or onto like the trusses below me before I bounce and end up down in the river. But as I'm swaying back and forth, I swear we were probably swaying five or six feet, you know, laterally horizontally back and forth. And I was like, that is just terrifying and mind boggling. But Oh my God, was it a rush? You talk about an experience. Um, Anyway, we stopped doing that because one night we did that and my friend had shimmied out on that crossbar, was right over the top where basically the engine would literally pass directly under him and he was just sitting there waiting and it's at night and I'm over there where I would traditionally be like a sissy weasel. Anyway, that train was coming and I suspect, actually I know because there was no other reason for him to do this, that that engineer saw us up there. Because right about the time that first engine passed underneath us, and directly underneath my friend, he hit that giant horn. And I don't know if you've ever been anywhere near one of those. They're loud. They're extremely loud. Imagine being like probably less than a grand total of maybe 10 feet from the actual horn itself at ear level. Like not even on the ground where it's 15, 18 feet above you, but like literally right next to it. That's what happened. And I'm pretty sure that both of our souls fell out of our butts that night at that moment, which thinking back, it's like, Oh my God, that railroader thought I'm going to have a good time with this, but he probably wasn't thinking ahead. These are stupid kids. What if one of them freaking, I startle them so bad doing this, they fall off the top. Like anyway, we would have deserved it had it happened. I'm sure. But anyway, probably wasn't thinking that through when he did that. Um, or maybe he was. Maybe he just really, really wanted to make us pay for trespassing on federal property and, you know, would have made him have a bad night if one of us had gotten killed. You know, they got to shut that dude down and it's it's a bad deal for those guys. It was stupid, but that's what you do. You don't think ahead when you're like 16 years old, 17, 18, right? And then there was a night I rode a train through town. And this story is epic, but I don't know if I want to tell all of it because this really was like, this really is incriminating. But anyway around, let's just put it this way. We were doing something one night that was not entirely technically illegal because we had keys to the place that we were, but it was pretty obvious that no one would be really happy with us being there in the middle of the night, even though we had keys and, you know, basically weren't doing anything wrong. But anyway, the cops showed up and we freaked out. We're like, Oh crap, we're in so much trouble. Well, after they like shine their lights all through the windows of this building and we're all hidden down the floor, we're trying to figure out what to do. Right. And anyway, they go over to our vehicles that are parked across the street at like a a convenience store. And this is late at night. Remember this? And it's super dark, middle of the night, like at least probably right about midnight at that time, midnight to 1230. And we see them go over there and we're like, well, this is our chance. We got to make a break. And again, don't get me wrong. We weren't stealing anything. We were just wasting time and screwing off basically. And this Business that we happen to have access to because one of us happened to work there. Just shouldn't have been there that late. Um, But anyway, the, while they're over there, by the way, small town cops illegally searching our trucks, doors open, pulling crap out of our trucks. Like we watched this through the drive thru window of this place. But we finally, as PO'd as we might have been about that, we were like, you know, life over limb, we got to get out of here. So we bail out the back door, we beat it. And we literally run through like the backyards of all these businesses and places in town. And like the only plan we had was get as far away from there as possible for one thing. And we were talking this over, you know, when we got far enough away and we could slow down and we could talk. But anyway, long story short, we knew someone who happened to drive one of the railroad, you know, like they call them like, I guess the anyway, they're taxis. Basically, they're limousines. They they take railroaders to and from when they shut down here or there, you know, they're 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 taxis. They move guys around. We knew someone that worked doing that based out of town right there. So we thought, if we get down the depot and we find this person, we can get them to give us a ride back there right now while the comps are still there, right? And get out and be like, what are you doing in our trucks? You know, and they're like, well, we saw blah, blah. I'm like, hey, listen, man, we've been with our friend here all night. Have we not? You know, that's our alibi too, right? Well, it turns out we get there and she wasn't working that night. So now we're still kind of kind of screwed. Well, it's late now. It's well after one o'clock and a train comes rolling through and we're two or three miles from where we had been. And we got to walk back over there at some point anyway. So we kind of looked at each other and we hopped the train and we rolled through town all the way to the far end of town, literally right across from the place that where our vehicles were and we needed to be. And, you know, we decided we'll figure it out when we get there. We did. We hopped those side rails on the side of that train in the dark and rode that guy. All the way through town to the other end of town, jumped off, um, and then as the train finally passed on through, I was able to link back up with him because he jumped on one side, I the other, just in time to meet a hobo face to face. Which again, there was more souls dropping out of beeholes holes in that moment in the middle of the night on the railroad tracks in the middle of nowhere with no lights, and um, he was just an old drunk hobo, and he just wanted to be left alone. He thought we were like railroad police. We thought the same or serial killer, but either way, we were both happy to leave each other alone and get out of each other's way. Thank goodness. And about that time we look over, cops are gone. It's been several hours now, right? We're trying to figure out what to do. So we just bolted, got our trucks, drove the long ways back home, stayed out of town and you know, never really heard nothing or anything else about it. But so I've got like this long history with railroads and railroading. That was my very first train ride, right there. As a fugitive from, I don't know what, because we weren't really doing anything wrong. But either way, it's a fun story to tell. But I do have like this history of just like infatuation with railroads, and so many people do. And so it's awesome because in today's world, people love, you know, people still have this nostalgia for that. And a lot of railroads have kind of met the call. They're like, hey, we can get some of this old stock, this passenger stock. We can get these things refurbished. We can make money off of this. So there's excursion train rides all over this country that aren't just like catching an Amtrak and going somewhere, but actual like in period cars with period engines, period period, um, period equipment. And it's really awesome. And we just so happen to have one right here in northwest and western Arkansas that does a 76 mile roughly one way. Or it may be a little, maybe it's 66 one way. And then the other way, it's like 150 mile, roughly round trip through our gorgeous Ozark mountains through the Boston mountain range. And it's like right here and people sleep on it. Not enough people go out and do it. Like guys, you don't understand. This isn't like some little jump in a railroad car and get pushed down a slope, you know, at five miles an hour for a couple of miles and pulled back up. This is a real ride. Like you get moving and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, but one of the reasons this is so great for traveling is because you get to see the scenery in a way in places that you might not otherwise get to see. In a lot of instances, you will not get the chance to see. Um, Because a lot of it's on private property. A lot of like the the Ozarks, a lot of people don't know this. The Ozarks, there's a few, you know, there's two like major kind of smallish sections of national forest in the Ozarks. The rest of it's private. The rest of it's private. And so to get to travel through people's property, through railroad right of way, down these these train lines, you get to see stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else. And you get to see some of the most beautiful versions of it because trains obviously have a ton of weight on them because, you know, these rail lines were built to haul freight traffic, a little bit, passengers, whatever. But this was about freight traffic. Those are big, long, heavy trains. You can't have extreme gradients to go uphill or it'll just stall out and then you got real problems. So these things generally follow the creeks. What are mountain rivers? they're beautiful, right? So almost every mountain river in this country that's anywhere on a profitable corridor where someone can make money by running a railroad through there, they follow the river. Like, I mean, just all alongside it for the most part. And that is true here. This line, the old Frisco that comes from Springdale, south to Van Buren, right here around Fort Smith, where I'm from in western Arkansas, and then goes back up. It follows Frog Bayou for a giant part of the way, and it's gorgeous. Frog Bayou's beautiful. Any of you guys who have ever seen our Ozark Mountain Rivers know it is gorgeous. And so imagine riding in a train alongside these rivers and the bluffs and the trees and the... It's an incredible experience, which incidentally we've talked about many times before, like rail trails, right? Right? Rail trails are awesome. A lot of times, these old railroads, they didn't make it. There's a reason it became unprofitable, whatever. But these things are still federal right-of-ways. And they work with like city, state, you know, and Rails to Trails Conservancy. There's a lot of groups that work to turn these into trails where we can go ride our bikes. We can hike on them. You can do a lot of things on them. So rail trails are exactly... Are, rail trails are awesome for exactly the same reason. And I've got a bucket list a mile long of freaking rail trails, y'all. No joke. Um, all over the Northeast, the Rockies, the, the Northwest especially. Guys, I mean, you got rail trails with these friggin' 200 foot high trestles and, and tunnel after tunnel after tunnel going through the Adirondacks, through the Appalachians, through the Rockies, through the Pacific Northwest. Just imagine that the Sierras, the Cascades. Imagine that. There are trails out there you can go ride, and most of those, if they don't have a rail trail on them because there's an active line, a lot of those, as I'm learning, more research I do, do have some kind of an excursion train or an Amtrak version of a ride that will take you through there, and my bucket list is like expanding exponentially because these are great places to go explore, and it's going to get you access to some of the most gorgeous unspoiled scenery you will ever see because it's not like they run right alongside some, you know, national park or state park. Some of them pass through them, whatever. There's a few that are actually national historic landmarks, which is super cool and exciting. Cold, uh, Toltec, Cumbres and Toltec out in New Mexico and Colorado. That one is one of those. And I think the Durango and Silverton is, and some of those are actually national historic landmarks. Um, which is super cool cuz you can get a whole lot of history like you get into mining you know if you guys love the like ideas of the 49ers the 59ers there's so much history up in those mountains and railroads are what drove that they were the economic driver that allowed that to happen um, and so to ride one of those routes or to pedal it on a bicycle if it's a rail trail or hike it you're not going to get views like that anywhere So much of it is on private land. It's an awesome way to see these here United States of ours. Like, I think you kind of follow where I'm going. And we've got right here, people sleep on the Ozarks, because in this country, we've got the Rockies, we've got the Great Smoky Mountains, the Aps. People sleep on us. And what we've got here is gorgeous and amazing. And this ride, this ride is so cool. And we're going to talk about it in the second half. This ride is so very cool. And I'm super excited about it, like... This is something that I slept on, y'all, to be completely honest. I've slept on it for years. I live here and I've never gone on it until like two weekends ago. I'm 40 freaking two years old. I've never done it. And I think it was like I have like a certain bias that I'll admit about where I live, my locality. Like I'm the kind of guy I want to go see stuff I've never seen before. Right. So I kind of myself sleep on local stuff until the last few years. But this is one I never considered. I did not know how big and epic it was. That had never been conveyed to me, right? I thought it was just like a little scooter, loo, you know, down the road and back or something. I had no idea how big it was. But then Sherpa comes along. Sherpa starts paying me to go write articles, which is why so many of these podcasts this year have been a lot more touristy in nature than my older stuff, which was maybe a lot more backcountry in a lot of episodes. Well, it's because this year all I've had time to do is go to school take care of my daughter, go to work. And then on my weekends off, I've been writing articles for Sherpa. You're going to pay me to go do stuff I've never really considered doing. You're dang right. So some of these we actually get episodes out of like tonight's episode, but I win this collab, the one that I'm currently trying to finish up, which is for history and culture in Northwest Arkansas. And one of the things that's a required activity is the A&M. Heck yeah. You you want to comp me a ticket and pay me to go? You're darn right. I'll go check it out. And then it's like the whole world opened up. I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I had no idea. I had no idea. So I'm super excited. I'm getting to kind of with all these Sherpa collaborations, getting to experience a lot of things I may not have otherwise experienced or, like I said, kind of slept on. But it also allows me to bring... Some more diverse content to the podcast, you know, because like that's what this podcast has been about all along is really finding yourself traveling, getting out, seeing all the things, seeing our natural beauty here in the world, all over the world. But, you know, based in the U.S., so I talk about the U.S., begin to see our natural beauty, getting to learn about ourselves, about other people's like it's really kind of a cultural podcast in so many ways. It's about travel, but it's like travel for the everyman. Cause like I can't afford to go to freaking Bailey's and cliff jump off a 600 foot waterfall and then squirrel suit glide across. Can you like 98% of the population can't do that? It's kind of ridiculous how the only thing that's really popular out there is like these giant quit your jobs and go live this crazy life. And I'm like, what did you rob a bank? Did you win multiple lotteries? I mean, liquor stores, do you have to hit? To have that kind of money to just quit your day job. So this is like the whole idea all along has been, this is like for the rest of us, ideas, where to go, what to do, how to do it with a kids, with a family, with a job. So I think it falls right into line. I really do. I feel it falls right into the wheelhouse of what the thrust of this podcast has always been kind of the theme, which is to just encourage you guys to get out there and live your lives. And the more that I can bring to you that's diverse as I can to get you out of the house and living, you know, the better because we can reach more people. We can give you more ideas like it's good to be um, it's good to have expanded horizons. You know, don't just get hyper focused on one thing, especially when it comes to exploring the world. Go out there and see everything you can. And like I've been proving with this podcast for a long time, it's all around you. You don't have to go across the country to a major national park, which is awesome and you should do. But, like, you just got a free weekend. You can't go far. I promise you if you try hard enough, there's something awesome really close to you. Like this freaking train ride that I really knew was there but had no idea how awesome it was and just didn't do for all these years. Wasn't even interested until it came to my plate, and now I'm like, Holy crap, this is amazing! So, anyway, we're gonna get on to talking about that, but we gotta go to break first. So, if you guys will hang tight, we'll hear a quick word from our sponsors, and when we get back, I'm going to explain to you the train ride from beginning to end. So, you guys stick around. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics a brand based right here in the good old US of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, from the top of the chain have a great conversation and we end up starting this great relationship we have they more than made right the little snafu that occurred and i am now a huge proponent of them because i can tell you from personal experience they are good people and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about 40 dollars, but using the exact same frame material TR-90 in the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably new in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name, not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendaddy Optics. They have 29 different styles, They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in and they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them, send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right and they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them and I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys like me are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash BendettiOptics. And that I highly suggest whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you'll ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through the break. All right, so let's get into it. First of all, Arkansas Missouri Railway rides along the former St. Louis and San Francisco tracks. You've probably heard of the Frisco if you have any culturing whatsoever. You're of an age probably older than 30 or 40. It's in movies, been in TV shows, it's in songs. It was one of the really really famous rail lines. One of those that are legendary. Um, it went bankrupt in 1980 or 81, um, with a lot of other railroads for various reasons that you're not interested in. Um, but this is one of the early big names and they cut a swath from Monette, Missouri all the way down to essentially Fort Worth down in around Dallas area. I believe it was, uh, Waco. And, um, that meant it cut right through. The Ozark mountains. And then it cut right through the Washita mountains. So a lot of its right of way, its trackage is through just absolutely gorgeous terrain. And this ride is on the modern day Arkansas, Missouri railway, which is a freight carrying rail line that serves up there. So southern Missouri, Northwest Arkansas interchanges with a bunch of major railways, um, comes down here, Van Buren, Fort Smith, but they run this, this, excursion passenger train throughout the year and they've got two different ones you can take you can take the really long one which we took which leaves from springdale arkansas comes to van buren and then goes back at the end of the day or you can take a short three-hour hop that leaves from van buren goes up to winslow and comes back um so they kind of have two options if you want to spend a whole day like out on the rails and exploring van buren arkansas which you should and we're going to talk about that you'll hear why pretty soon um you've got that option. But if you just want to go on a short little scootaloo and go up the road and back, you know, I think it's 11 to two roughly in the afternoon on the weekends. It's really, really cool. Um, but anyway, so it comes down from Springdale to Van Buren. It is roughly 67 miles. One way takes about three hours to make it all the way down. Um, which interestingly on our trip, I think we were running a little hot. Um, our conductor was talking to us about You know, it was like we were kind of asking, like, when do we, you know, how long does it take to get there? How long do we ride down? And this was like halfway through the trip down. He's like, well, you know, usually we should be there about 11, but I think we're going to be a little bit earlier today. This is uh, one of our normal freight drivers, and uh, he's he's running a little hot today. Um, So we were scooting, which was really, really awesome. Um, But it's about a three-hour trip down. And kind of what you can expect, okay, there's like some major, major highlights along this route that are like really, really exciting. There's some major high trestles and there's a big tunnel and there's the whole run through a huge part of it that snakes through and follows the frog by you like it, you know, just big old Creek, big old mountain Creek, um, small river. And it's absolutely gorgeous, but you come through Southtown, you come out of Springdale, you go through Fayetteville and, and they're telling you the whole time. Our conductor's name was Mike Kastner and he was great. He'd been doing it a while. He knew his stuff and that guy, let me tell you something, that guy's living his best life. That dude is living like my my future goals. Like one of these days when I can't work anymore, that's what I want to do. I want to gig, being like a train conductor and just ride trains all over the place or all the time. Like I've seen they got these guys out there on the Grand Canyon Scenic Railway. They've got these guys everywhere. I can't think of a better way to spend my old person years than interacting with the general public. On days where they really like being interacted with, they're happy to be there doing what they're doing. You know, normal day in retail, oh my God, you don't want anything to do with humans. But something like that, everyone's happy to be there. And they're excited to be there. And I love the energy of things like that. So he's like living his best life and I'm jealous. But he was a great conductor. And all the way down, he's going to be sitting there telling you, he's got his little microphone. He's going to tell you as you go, he's going to tell you about the trestles. He's going to tell you about the the, bri- uh, the bridges. Um, he's going to tell you about the tunnel. He's going to tell you about like local topography. He was talking about some of the indigenous peoples and the time frames, pointing out bluff shelters as we went along. Um, a lot of really cool and great information. But all the while, you're riding a train with some of the most epic views you will ever see. Absolutely gorgeous. So as you come out, the first it and it really happens in a short stretch, like the really kind of exhilarating stuff. And I say exhilarating and I mean it. You guys know I'm prone to over-exaggerate words sometimes. I'm not I'm not I'm not exaggerating that word. And the first thing you come to is the Winslow Tunnel, little town of Winslow, and it's a tiny town now. But like I just found out today through research, apparently it used to be some kind of a resort town, and that's future research for me because who knows if there's any remains of that left. I just need to know that story. But this was back in those days. We've talked about this in prior episodes. Like how many places were something springs, right? Where they built a resort, Eureka Springs, Hot Springs, Siloam Springs. Like you, you got all these places. Um, There were springs on top of Sugarloaf Mountain in Eastern Oklahoma. And there was like a hotel on top of that mountain and the turn of the century in the 1880s. And it was like in a, they, they had to ride a freaking wagon to get up there horse-drawn wagon for like a half a day from the closest rail depot like it was so far up there but it was because there were a bunch of springs Winslow was one of those places which I don't know about the springs so much but it got turned into basically kind of a getaway for the well-to-do people and there was a little bit of a resort up there had no idea any of that that's fascinating but a lot of that stuff sprang up of long rail lines, because you got to remember, before rail lines, you know, from the beginning of America until, well, in the Northeast, like the 1850s and 60s, but as you come further west, the 1880s, 90s, 1900s, there was the first reasonably quick transportation, by far, by far, and it could take you places people had never been, and so, like, It was a whole thing. And that's where like some of the first tourism industry sprang up was in these like resort communities where people could ride the train and the, the trains, like the, the railroads were all about it. They would build the resorts. They would create the situation to be able to advertise it so that you would pay ticket fare to go there for a weekend. And then they would make money off of you when you were staying at the resort that they built and and capitalized. Right? So this was a big thing at that time. So there were like resorts everywhere. If you ever get interested, look up Monty Knee in northwest Arkansas. Um, it's sad. A lot of it's gone. Now they just tore down one of the last remaining towers just like last year, which was really cool. You could go see it with your eyes. And if the lake gets low enough, you can still see parts of the amphitheater because some of it's underwater, which is super freaking cool. But there was those kinds of things everywhere. And apparently Winslow was one of those. Had no idea. And I got to look into that now. I want to know that history. But you come to Winslow, which is super cool because they when we went through, and I'm sure this is probably every Saturday, they had something of a little farmer's market going on. So there's like a whole group of people under this big pavilion, just waving and the trains, honking at them. And that's probably experience for them to watch the train pass by from that vantage point there. You know, it was really neat. But you come to the Winslow tunnel. Going through tunnels is interesting. Always car tunnels, any kind of tunnel. But going through a tunnel on a train is a little bit of experience. Like it's something a little bit different as you kind of move through there at a relatively low speed, clicking and clacking. This tunnel is at 1,735 feet above sea level. It is the highest railroad pass in the United States between the Appalachians and the Rockies. And the tunnel itself is 1,702 feet long. And you're in there for a minute, y'all. And it's fascinating because the darkness closes in around you. And you're looking down. Like it depends on where you're at on the train. Like I imagine if you're in the center cars, it just gets dark until it gets light again. For me, they they put us onto the rear car that has the back platform observation deck, which I suggest you do. Yo, you can you can ride in style, okay? They've got like a observation car. I mean, and that's probably the most expensive, I don't know. But you can get up on the top deck of the observation car and you've probably got the best view all around 360 of anywhere on the train well you have to absolutely and it's comfortable like we got to kind of look in it we got to see the seats we got to see all that but like that's probably the best seat in the house but for me the experiential guy and for all of you out there that want the experience they put us in the back car which has the observation deck which means you can just hang out back there and lean against the rail, and watch everything go by, and that was awesome, and that also helped with me having any kind of claustrophobia issues, because when we went into that tunnel, you know, it gets real dark, I'm, all, I'm like, well, I'm on the very end, so if anything goes sideways, I can just jump off and run towards the light at the other end of the tunnel, right, the thing we just left behind, but you go in, and it's really, really cool, like, they move kind of slow, because that's safety, right, you don't know, want kind of derail or anything. So they slow way down and they, they drag you through the tunnel. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like the lights just go out and you get towards the center of the tunnel. That light is just a tiny dot in either direction. It is not illuminated at all. It's pitch black. It's pitch black, except for those little dots at the ends for just a minute, just a minute. It's not that freaky. Okay. I may have over overstated that. It's not that freaky, but I just remember thinking like, I'm glad I'm on the end. I feel like safer being at the very rear of the train. But it's a really cool experience and you come out the other side and it's so beautiful because like being on the back platform like I was when you exit, you know, the light comes back just before you exit and when you exit, you just see this giant old railroad portal from like the 1880s and it's all this this, you know, hand-masoned work from from the period and it's so cool to watch that in the tracks themselves kind of fading away from you as you go further away. And it's a really cool perspective. Like if you want to see it, actually, go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash wayward stories, and you will see it. And I cut together a video. I filmed most of this. I probably missed half of it because I was filming most of it. Um, And I cut together a video, and it has the video of going through the tunnel. It has the trestles. It has all the good stuff. So if you want to see what this is like, go. Go to our YouTube channel and also subscribe while you're there. But anyway, you can see a really good representation in 4K. It's pretty cool. Um, As you come out the other side and it's like the light comes back and then you just start picking up speed as you go. And it's, guys, I get why there's a romance to this now. The people that got to ride back in the day as a regular thing. I get why there's a romance. Because it'll also lull you, man. It'll put you in almost a trance. I mean, you have the the steady, you know, click at it, clack it, clack it, clack it, clack at it. But you've also got kind of a hum and you've got a rocking motion. The car is rocking back and forth just a little bit. And not like enough that it's not like gonna give you seasickness. It's actually very soothing. It's almost like sitting in a rocking chair. And it's just really, really It's really cathartic in a way, which I think I'm using it wrong again, but I don't care. It's very, very relaxing. It's very soothing. And watching the scenery go by, you're going to see a lot of stuff. One thing that I thought was really cool, like I was hyped, right? I'm going to see these trestles. We're going to see the valleys. We're going to see running along the river because I know all this because I love rail trails. Um... But one of the things that really caught my attention is when you're kind of cooking across these these the kind of the Ozark Highlands right after Fayetteville, but before you really start into the mountain grade, just the big, huge expanses of fields and the old farmhouses that are out on the distance and, and running through fields of cows. And that was really bucolic. It was very, very pastoral as it were it it looked like a painting a lot of times you know and you leave it it i think you all aboard at like seven forty five, so that thing can get underway and depart you know at about 8 a.m so this is morning you know it's nine o'clock the sun's coming up to the east which is the side that's really open to you at this point so you're getting all these beautiful views of the sunlight starting to pour in through the valley that you're running through right And then you hit the mountains, and one of the first things you hit once you're in the mountains is the Winslow Tunnel. But right after the Winslow Tunnel, it gets exhilarating, as I said. Within the next two miles, two and a half miles, you're going to go over three high trestles. And they are in order. Trestle number one, 780 feet long, and 125 feet above the valley floor. And this... Railroad bridge. This is not a through truss bridge. This is a deck plate girder bridge. I think that's the right. But it's a deck bridge. You're rolling across this old deck bridge. And I'm on the back platform. And literally you look down off the platform. And you're looking straight down to the valley. There's no like walkway. You know. There's no pedestrian walkway on there. Like it's not even that wide. It's like you're literally just kind of perched across the atop this thing. Kicking it down the rails and it's like you're going slow again for safety purposes so it's like nice and nice and easy but it's an experience y'all but here's the thing and this is why I think you should be back on the deck because seeing this through the windows could in no way I think replace seeing it with the naked eye in the open air because you're standing there on that platform and you look straight down and you can see the valley floor way down there and you know it's 125 feet down but then then you pan your eyeballs upward to the sunrise which now the sun's further up but you pan your eyes to the east across the valley and you're looking out over the ozark mountains and the boston mountains and you see peaks as far as you can see in the distance, you can see all the trees in the fall, y'all. Oh, my God, the colors, what they're going to be like in the fall. I wish we had gotten to ride in the fall, and I need to do it this year. I really want to once we hit peak color. Because um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. That's got to be incredible. But it's incredible at any time of year because you know you're way up over this valley looking out across the vast expanse of the Boston Mountains, and it's just absolutely exhilarating. It's breathtaking. A little bit scary because it's way down there. You hear people in and on inside. They're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a whole experience. It's a whole experience, but you get three of these in two and a half miles. The second one is 410 feet long, a little bit less, a little bit more than half as long. Um, and it's only 110 feet high. And then the third one is 460 feet long and it's 110 feet high. But you get three of these amazing trestles with these gorgeous views out over the valley. And y'all, it's exciting. Like it's really beautiful and it's really, really exciting. There's something like 27 crossings, I think, of, oh gosh, was that, I'm gonna misquote this. It's either road crossings or it's crossings of like Frog Bayou, like little trestles, like little tiny things. But the farther you get south, and you get into like the Mountainburg, Rudy, that kind of area before you get all the way down to Van Buren. You start really following Frog Bayou. And you get to go some through some really cool old steel truss bridges. Like the one that I just told you a story about in the first half of the episode. Um, a few deck bridges. And you just keep crisscrossing this beautiful, pristine, clear mountain river and there's bluffs everywhere. There's bluff lines, you know, sometimes back up the river Valley. Um, and you're just kicking along and just the whole time you're just being lulled into like this mesmerizing state and watching all these beautiful things go by you. And it's just, it was a really incredible experience. Like I will say this about riding on the back on the deck car, um, on the platform, you know, the observation platform, um, which is just a small little area at the very back of the back car. Not everyone can be out there at once. Um, I got lucky and not that, you know, there was, it got crowded here and there, but basically I got to stand out there the whole time. And I wouldn't have it any other way, but I will warn you of this. You will get face full of, of uh, diesel exhaust if you do that. When I got to Van Buren, I had like, like black lines, black marks under my eyes. And I was like pulling black soot out of my ears for like two days. It was awesome. It was so, so awesome. Like, that's experiencing it. You guys have listened to this podcast long enough now to know how I am. And maybe I'm the only weird sucker on this planet who would be happy to be hiking up the side of a mountain in a monsoon in San Francisco in January like I was. But that's the point. Getting real. As real as you can get with something. If you're gonna ride the rails and you can ride on that back platform and you can smell that diesel exhaust to the point that you get black soot on your face because you're just hanging there the whole time watching the freaking trees and the bluffs and the stuff go by at 30 or 40 miles an hour sometimes, maybe. Um God, that's really getting to experience the wind in your face. Like, God, it was so awesome. It was so awesome. Um, so just be warned though. You should definitely ride the your car in my opinion you should definitely ride the platform in my opinion but just know just know you're gonna have a uh, have a little bit of natural mascara under your eyes um that it's gonna be a little bit tough to get off anyway so you ride all the way down you get to van buren around 11 a.m and then you get a three-hour layover if you're taking the trip we took understand this it's an eight-hour day it's three hours down three hour layover and three hours back eight to nine hour day but while you're in Van Buren, you have three hours, and this is awesome, because Van Buren is an awesome place. I mean, I literally, right now, where I sit, recording this podcast, I'm like five and a half minutes from downtown Van Buren. I'm in North Fort Smith, um, well, kind of North Central Fort Smith. I scoot across the interstate. I'm there. Like, it's like a six-minute drive for me. And I don't do enough over there, though I have. But downtown Van Buren is awesome. Like if you're taking this, if you, this is something you could do for any of you people out there in the world, you know, not just my, my fellow Arkansans that listen to the show, but you guys like all over the world, everywhere now, like our state has so much to offer you. But like you take one of these things and take one of your days here while you're visiting us and take this trip down, you get the experience of really riding the rails, but then you land in Van Buren, Arkansas for three hours. Which is extremely historic. And there are incredible looking Victorian era buildings all around. We talked about that some with Eureka Springs. This is the downtown historic district of Van Buren. And they have so much cool stuff. Their shopping is kind of famous here in the state. People love to shop in downtown Van Buren. It's a whole vibe. It's a whole vibe. Like you've got the historic buildings. You've got all these awesome ghosts. Um, Ghosts of... Painted advertisements on the side of these old turn-of-the-century buildings, right? Like, there's one that's been refurbished, the the Coca-Cola sign, which is fresh paint. It's super cool. But there are buildings in town that have these old signs that you can't make out one from the other. They're literally ghosts. I think people call them ghost ads, ghost signs. The shopping's really cool. Like, I'm not big into shopping, being completely honest with you. But you know what? I am into history. And you know what else you can do when you're right there in downtown Van Buren? You can hop a little trolley ride and go over to the Drennan Scott House or the Wilhoff House, which are both extremely, extremely historically important. And they have, like the Drennan Scott House has a cool museum. It is a super cool place to check out. And three places you can eat. You can eat at the Vault or the 1905 The Vault or the Vault 1905 Sports Grill. Y'all, it's literally in a bank, 1905 Bank. They, I mean, the metal roof is still inside, like the tin, um, hammered metal roofs that are in the old buildings. Um, you know, the facade's the same. It's, it's freaking awesome. It's like literally in 115 year old bank building called the vault. It's awesome. And then there's the, the pointer brewery, which is like Korean food. And then there's the pasta grill up the hill. Um, and it's all right there. On the main stretch in downtown Van Buren so like you come down and you get to spend three hours shopping, dining, um, exploring historical sites like the Albert Pike Schoolhouse is down there um, which is this old block cabin that Albert Pike which was like a super super famous early Arkansan everything in downtown Van Buren is curated to you and it is really really cool it is its own experience Um, so it's like, it's kind of a win-win proposition all the way around, right? You get an awesome train ride. You get to go have a killer lunch somewhere, you know, downtown Van Buren. You get to shop around for different things. You can go explore some of the local history. Really, if you're into photography, it's pretty killer, y'all. Like, there's a couple of buildings. There's several buildings that are historic in downtown Van Buren, but there's at least one that I'm not even going to attempt to describe it to you. I mean, it's got minarets on the roof. It's like freaking Victorian, but it's like almost kind of art deco in a way. Like it's 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 a visual cacophony of things happening. And it's just fascinating to look at. So bring your cameras. Be ready to take photographs because downtown Van Buren is very, very photogenic. But anyway, let me oh, and let me give you a pro tip in case you do this. If you can hold off when you jump off the train. When you disembark around 11 a.m., you're going to be hungry. You just are. Try to hold off till closer to 1230 to decide where to grab lunch. 1245, I think, is about what we did. Because you've got a whole train with four or five cars worth of people unloading. Everyone's hungry. And so you might spend most of your layover waiting in line to be seated and served. You know, way too much time. Go explore first. Go down to Arts on Main. I almost left that out. They have an awesome little art gallery, local art gallery featuring local artists. And it's it's so superbly done. It's so beautifully done. Also, um, Chapters on Main is a really neat used bookstore. They got a coffee shop in there. It's really cool. But go explore first. Go see Arts on Main. Go maybe hop that trolley and go over check out the Drennan Scott house for a minute. Um, do what you're gonna do first and then come back and eat lunch before you all aboard again, right? Because then there's no line, there's no real wait. And if you do it at say 1245, the train's leaving at two. If you do it at 1245, you're only a block or two away from the depot, right? You have plenty of time to get your food, eat, not in a hurry, and still get back in time. But you don't have to wait in lines. You don't have to sit there. And essentially, if you do it the other way around, you might not get to do that much exploring. You might spend two hours just getting lunch done. So pro tip, just consider that when you go. Um, And also pro tip, like if you're like me and have really bad allergies or you have any kind of, say, medications you need to take, you're out for eight hours away from your car. So bring your little man purse like I have my little tactical medical bag that I use as a man purse or whatever your backpack. Bring things that you might need to stay comfortable, you know, because it's eight hours, eight to nine hours away from your vehicle, out on the road, right? The railroad. And then an hour and a half from home. Um or from where you departed anyway in Springdale from your vehicle. So keep that in mind as well. But two o'clock rolls around, get back on the train and the ride back up, super neat. I got to spend time inside on the way back up. Because on the way down, I wasn't leaving that back platform. I was there to experience it, y'all. And so I spent most of the trip back up in the car. And that's really awesome, too. It's a lot quieter inside the car and not on the platform. There's a lot less diesel exhaust, a lot less sit. And it's it really is. It has a it has a hypnotic effect almost. You just had a long day. You spent three hours exploring downtown Van Buren. You had a three-hour drive down. You got up maybe kind of early so that you could be down at the depot and get boarded up at 745, right? Um, So there were a lot of people snoring away on the ride back to, to Springdale. It's you know only 3, 4 in the afternoon as you go, and people are falling asleep and their heads against the window or their heads down on a table. It will put you out. It is such a hypnotizing experience. It's kind of like highway hypnosis. Have you ever had highway hypnosis? This is something they trained us on like at FedEx. Um, And it's something I experienced several times at FedEx. But it's that moment where you, you kind of go into a hypnagogic state. You're awake. But like your motor functions are no longer awake. But well, in this weird example, actually your motor functions are awake. And it's more like your mind is completely zoned out. Because like it's like... When I used to drive, and that would happen after a 12 hour day of delivering at FedEx, and you're driving an hour and a half back to the terminal on these state highways, and you're just booking along, you kind of just get lulled by the road noise, you know, the hum of the tires and stuff. And all of a sudden, you realize you're not, you can't even really see what's out there ahead of you. But you realize. That you're turning when you should turn. You're doing what you should do. And it's almost like you've gone into like autopilot. This is extremely dangerous. But it's really fascinating, interesting experience to have. It's like you go into autopilots where your eyeballs are reading what's happening. And your motor functions are responding as they should. But you are like consciously aware that you're not paying a dang bit of attention to what's going on. You can't. You're you're just out of it. You've just zoned out. And you kind of have to snap yourself out of it. You have to think real hard. Oh, I can't do this and wake up. Well, riding the train's like that, except you don't have to worry because you're not at the controls, right? And it'll just rock you to sleep. You get that, again, clackety, 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 clackety. It's just really rhythmic. It's got a, a cadence to it. You're rocking back and forth. There's kind of a hum. And it will really, really chill you out. All naturally. You don't even have to go to one of the 653 million dispensaries we have in Oklahoma, Arkansas, wherever. Um, ah, They're all in Oklahoma, though. We don't have any here yet, do we? They're all in Oklahoma. There's one on every street corner. They're worse than Dollar Generals in Oklahoma now. There's dispensaries everywhere. You don't even need that. You just go ride the train, and you'll be so chill. And, I mean, like I said, so many people fell asleep. Super cool experience all the way around the shopping, the exploring, the historic stuff, the the photographs, um the ride itself through the valley across the trestles, guys, it's a great time. Like I was so impressed. I I and I'm a little bit ashamed. All these years I've lived here and all these years I never even really was interested as much as I love trains. I just didn't really know what was up with it. You see advertisements everywhere, but I'd never seen anything it's like detailed This is a long ride. This is a real train trip. Like, Because when you think of excursions, or at least me in the area I'm from, you don't really think like a big, long train ride that's a really cool experience. You think it's some kind of like little dinky-dunky whatever thing. But, you know, as I've grown up, as I've traveled more, and I started seeing all these excursion trains, it did start to cross my radar. It's like, what's really going on with our excursion train? And then this opportunity dropped in my lap, and I'm ashamed That I spent all these years without actually doing this or even really considering it. I am very bad about being biased against where I'm from. I want to see everything else in the world. You know what I mean? And I'm learning lessons. I'm learning lessons. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Absolutely. But anyway, that pushes us to almost exactly at an hour tonight. We've been having hour and 15, hour and a half long episodes. But I think we're going to call it with that because if I kept trying now... I would just be stretching it out needlessly. And one thing that I do not have anymore is an excess of time on my hands. So we're going to kind of wrap it up right here. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the show tonight. I hope you guys get down here to Arkansas and check out our state and check out these awesome train rides. And just all I ask if you do, drive like a normal, decent human being with consideration. I'm looking at you, Texas. And please don't throw trash everywhere. On our rivers and and our hiking trails. like That has become such a problem. Arkansas is becoming so popular and it's just getting trashed. Please just be respectful of our world. That would be super appreciated. But get your butts down here. Spend your money here because God knows this state needs your money. We really, really need something here. Bring it on. This has been like a boon for Arkansas over the last couple of decades. And we're happy for it to continue to be so. Just be decent humans, please. Um, But let's go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. Until you guys do get around and come down here and see us, I hope you guys have a good couple of weeks. I hope that we will see you back here again in two weeks um, to talk about whatever it is we might discuss. Um, Because I say that because I don't know yet. Until then, please go to the website for anything and everything that we do waywardstories.com if you want to get in touch and please do i love to interact with you guys my at gmail.com again rate review subscribe and other than that i think that's it for tonight guys i gotta go and i gotta get busy editing this thing so i hope you guys have a good night and we will catch you next time and until then do not forget to be good to each other